You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The NFL is in crisis. And you'd think, okay, yeah, we heard about the Brian Flores lawsuit and they've got to deal with the allegations of potentially paying to lose and tanking in a way that's unsavory beyond the usual vibes of tanking. Yeah, that's part of it. But let's not lose sight of the fact that there was a Congress meeting today discussing the commanders, the Washington football team, the team formerly known as. And that is as much a part of everything that's swirling around the NFL right now. Add into that the very recent issues of the NFL dealing with accusations of race norming in their concussion data, blackballing Kaepernick and Reed, the Rooney Rule stuff, not publishing the Washington football team findings, which is part of what got them in front of Congress today. All of it is swirling at the same time. And are they so powerful that it doesn't matter? Or will we need to dive in how the NFL is going to react to a number of these things? It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're extra long tonight. We're taking you into Lakers Clippers right here on ESPN Radio at 930 Eastern. Let's call this Straight Talk Fitz, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And, and the straight talk off the top from me to you is... How powerful is the NFL, and does it even blink with everything going on right now? Or is this enough? Power is such an interesting word to me in this because power is so relative. Like, you know, you think about big fish in a small pond, or you think about the way power sometimes is used, but then you think about who the NFL is and who they've had power over. Like, we sat here not that many years ago and said that the NCAA would always be untouchable because Mm -hmm. they had all the power. And then one day they woke up and essentially lost it all because why? Well, Congress and and government started to get involved. And now we see the Washington football team and the NFL as a whole finding themselves having to answer questions. And realistically, you know, the the Super Bowl has their press conference every year, Sarah. We know that. We've gone to that before. You and I aren't going to get to ask Roger Goodell a single question that he's going to answer. But Congress is different. So, As powerful as the NFL is, what's interesting to me right now is that they're facing a lawsuit from a head coach that doesn't care about the power of the platform, cares about change. That, in and of itself, can be crippling to power. And then on the other side, you've got taking on Congress. And whatever power the NFL thinks they have, they need to really look in the mirror if they think that they have any shot of beating the U.S. government at something. Yeah, I think one of the fascinating things, and a lot of people maybe weren't sure entirely why the why, why Congress was getting into this, um, our own Tisha Thompson, ESPN investigative and, and enterprise reporter, uh, was on NFL Live today and talked about how and why Congress is looking at this case. And they're looking at two things. One, legislation for all types of companies that would prevent the use of non-disclosure agreements and confidentiality agreements, of which all of these women in Washington had to sign, to be used to what they call cover up uh, instances of sexual assault and sexual harassment. Congressman Gerald Connolly and others also emphasized that it is Congress that gives the NFL its special tax status. And another congresswoman pointed out today that it was about $8 billion that the NFL was able to pocket last year because of that special status. That comes to about $250 million a team. And that is money that could be used by the taxpayers. Yeah, Fitz, I think it's worth noting that second thing is, is, is incredibly important, especially to the NFL, that they maintain that status. But beyond that, the first thing that she mentioned, which is the idea of across all workplaces, not just the NFL, if you take away the ability for teams 
or businesses to muzzle people after wrongdoings and crimes in the workplace have occurred, that transparency and that opening up of conversation can be deadly in terms of ending some of these practices. Which is where, for everybody that looks at it, and and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus because I've said this before. I've looked at it before and said, doesn't Congress have better things to do with their time and everything going on in the world right now? I've made that statement at previous chapters in my life. I think what you have to look at is and say, if Congress is looking at it, what's the greater benefit to the entire country? And that speaks to that. You know, Sarah, when you start talking about the precedent of NDAs and what they can prevent that was never intended from the outset of what they are, like uh, non-disclosure was meant to try and uh, protect confidential information, not try and allow people to be terrible human beings. So I think, you know, at some point looking at that portion of law and saying, how can we fix this and make some common sense out of this that makes things better is in and of itself a win for the entire country if Congress can figure that out, even if it wasn't just the Washington football team that was involved. I agree with you. I also think a lot of people who say stuff like that are being completely disingenuous. They're usually saying it when a topic is something that's not of interest or care to them. In this case, women, the treatment of women, crimes in the workplace, sexual harassment. Uh, those are things that are, are, are more than uh, more than worthy of discussion, um, and especially the way the NFL as a as a um, entity that has been protected and and fortified by the by the government uh in their dealings the secrecy with which they've dealt with this issue i think is a big deal um and that's that's partly why you get to these places because things come out that you haven't heard before and certainly things that the nfl doesn't want out here's tisha thompson again about one of the biggest items that came out from this congressional roundtable the biggest news item that came out of it was that tiffany johnston a former uh, manager of marketing and events testified in front of Congress that in 2005 or 2006, she was attending a work dinner and was, uh, Dan Snyder put his hand on her thigh under the table. She couldn't get him to stop and that he later tried to push her into a limousine until his attorney told him that that wasn't a good idea. That was a new revelation. Uh, She was one of several women, five in total, who told Congress about these types of what they called sexual harassment. Um, events that happened over the course of 20 years under Snyder's tenure. So there's that, which we hadn't heard specifically. And then Melanie Coburn, former director of marketing for for the Commanders Washington football team, uh, told the Congressional Oversight Committee this. The harassment and objectification of the cheerleaders was constant. Under Dan Snyder's leadership, women were used as sex objects and tools to increase sales rather than dignified human beings. At cheerleader auditions one year, Dan Snyder ordered the director of the squad to parade the ladies onto the field while he and his friends gawked from his suite through binoculars. The women were directed to turn around slowly, as if they were cattle being examined for sale. One of the women cried on the sidelines because she didn't understand what was happening. The next year, we had to start an ambassador squad made up of beautiful women who were not cheerleaders, but dressed to look like them. They were paraded through suites. And in later years, the men who paid for those suites were invited to come to our calendar shoots and to judge our auditions. It's just like, it's so gross. It gives me the heebie-jeebies fits because I think about places and I've been in my life and spaces where you have felt like that. And it's very degrading and dehumanizing. And these are people at at their workplace. These are people who are being put in these situations completely at odds with their, the professionalism of their job and the actual roles that they play within the organization. It becomes, like she said, about a cattle call. Well, and what becomes interesting is that this information 
will demand from Congress an on-record response. And that, I think, is the most powerful thing that can happen here. We don't know that anybody involved in the response will give us uh, information, but we know that they'll be forced to respond to Congress. And that, in and of itself, will finally give us a peek behind the curtain of the NFL, because the one thing we know the National Football League never does is give us any sort of transparent look at what's actually happening as they come to the conclusions they come to. So that's where power, to go back to your original statement, will be in this process power will be in the information that we get yeah the most powerful thing of course would be if the washington football team i'm going to keep calling them that i don't know the commanders uh were forced to release the findings and the nfl was forced to release the findings of what they've thus far offered up to us as just an oral report which is an absolute joke. And the idea that we would be satisfied with that is is pathetic. Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, we'll continue talking about the NFL's struggles. And, and one of those is the conversation around the hiring of black coaches as there remain five NFL coaching openings. Are those teams falling behind? And is there conflict with some of the people trying to get those jobs and the people doing the hiring? It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Large number of openings for head coaching jobs in the NFL still open. And that search for a new head coach, all the more interesting in light of Brian Flores' class action lawsuit against the league, alleging racist practices in their hiring or not hiring coaches of color. What does that mean for the interviews still going on, especially for those teams that had Flores in their finalist spot? Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80 were presented by Progressive Insurance. Going extra long tonight, you got us till 9.30 Eastern when you'll hear Lakers Clippers on ESPN Radio. We'll get into NBA stuff, but Fitz, these coaching openings, it is, it is becoming worrisome to me. If I were um, a fan of one of the five teams still looking for a new head coach, I would feel a little like they're behind. It's not like there's anything much to be accomplished right now. It's still quite early in the offs, not even technically the off season since the Super Bowl shouldn't have happened yet, but it still feels like it's taking too long. Yeah, I agree with you. And I do think that things are lagging behind when you think about the Senior Bowl, for example. And last year, covering the draft, I had the opportunity to sit with Jim Nagy on day three of the NFL draft. We were simulcast on radio and digital. And we had uh, me and Ian Fitzsimmons and Jim Nagy doing uh, some of the radio stuff that day. Uh, And I believe Mike Tannenbaum was with us, too. And Nagy uh, is the head of the Senior Bowl. And it was incredible to hear him talk about sixth and seventh round prospects like they were his kids. I mean, the, the amount of scouting that has happened to put the Senior Bowl together and then the amount of scouting and interview time and time actually talking and hanging out with these kids that can happen during the Senior Bowl, I think is huge. So. If you don't have your your head coach, you also don't have your coaching staff. You don't necessarily have a vision for your roster yet. Like The further you get into the season, the more behind you actually are. With the scouting combine right around the corner, it takes a, a little bit. It takes a minute. Like You and I know this as Bears and Raiders fans. Our teams now have coaches, but they're still building their staffs. They're building what their front office is going to look like. They're mm-hmm. going to continue to have to put that together quickly while they also try and identify the types of players they're looking for and find a common vision. I, I think it's, it is late at this time of the cycle for everybody still trying to find somebody. Well, and to your point, filling out those staffs, that's happening across the league with new coaches and those who have replaced uh, fired assistants and staff members. So you're going to have a fewer, uh, a smaller pool to pick from when you do get, get that head coaching job. Uh, we learned that Jim Harbaugh, uh, we learned yesterday, is is going back to Michigan. Um, 
and that is uh, great news, I guess, for Michigan, who were elated. Uh, that leaves the Vikings um, allegedly believing that he was arriving to have a real interview, and according to our own Courtney Cronin, uh, Harbaugh walked in believing the job was essentially his. Uh, I don't know if that is the reason he did not get the offer or why it didn't work out, but it sounds like Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell will be the man they just need to wait for the Super Bowl to end. Seems quite likely he will end up being the next head coach of the Vikings. Can't sign officially yet, though. That leaves the Dolphins, certainly not hiring Brian Flores, the Jags, the Texans. Um, who am I missing? There's one more, the right? Saints. The Saints, thank you. And the Saints... Now, according to um, to a report from ESPN's Jeremy Fowler, they want to speak with Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy for the head coaching job. Um, Fitz, it gets a little stickier after everything that has gone down to interview and not hire a coach of color. Whether or not that's fair, it's still it's still stickier to bring in someone that people have talked about for years as one of the best candidates out there who hasn't been hired, and then if you decide not to hire, how that's received. Doesn't it say something? Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. I, I mean, it says something to me about the entire process that the first thing so many of us he- think when we hear, oh, the Chiefs are interviewing Eric Bieniemy is how many uh, minority candidates have they interviewed? Like, is this a real one or are they just making sure they get the two in? And that speaks to an entirely broken process, right? Like, the first thought for so many of us is, like, what are they doing and why? Instead of just saying, oh, man, maybe this is finally the shot for enemy And it's it's interesting because it's going to get more complicated. The Jags are a dumpster fire. The Saints need to get this, this figured out. But even the Dolphins right now, with all the allegations out there, of the way they tried to go about not winning makes me wonder how appealing they'll be to coaches that right now have other options to figure out where they want to go. They The Dolphins could be in a very Cully-like situation where they're hiring a coach for a year just trying to fix their reputations. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Meantime, as the Jags are looking for a new coach, what we're hearing is that Byron Lefwich is expected to remove himself from consideration for the head coaching job soon, um, in part because he didn't want to work with Trent Baalke. Now, allegedly, according to Mike Garofolo, Balky was in meetings and in rooms with coaching candidates when they were asked flat out, could you see yourself working with Trent Balky? That's that so weird. That doesn't seem like the best way to approach that question. That is so weird. Like the thought of, so what about this guy? What you think? Like, there'd be yeah. a moment in an interview where I'm like, is this legit? Am I supposed to laugh this off? Like, what, we're... Where are we? I have nothing but respect for any organization looking at a coach and saying, tell me about the GMs you want to work with. Who do you think you have a great relationship with? What's your phone book like? Like, who are the guys in your circle? That makes a lot of sense. But looking at somebody in the room and saying, how do you feel about this guy? Like, that just feels like such a terribly awkward way to start your working relationship unless you're the biggest fan of that person in the history of mankind. Right. Unless Balky is so good that there is no chance you would get rid of him. And that is the opposite of what many think about Balky as a GM there. There is a loud proponent of Jags fans and of media and others who believe that he should not be in that job. So to act as though the next coach is, it's it's the equivalent of treating him like uh, Justin Fields with the Bears. That makes sense. Like, eh, you're going to need a coach that's going to think that that's their guy and is going to work with him. Balky is not a promising young quarterback on a rookie contract. So it's very strange to me that the Jags would potentially lose a great candidate 
in Byron Leftwich because of their unwillingness to be flexible about the GM position. Rick, Rich Bisaccia, Doug Peterson remain candidates for that Jags job. Um, it, you know, it, it's well, fascinating and, to me that you look at some of these candidates and, um, and, and again, the goalposts moving of there are guys who have done a decent job at the college level that get that shot. Josh McCown has two interviews already with the Texans, has never coached. And then you've got guys that we can find any excuse for. I just heard a radio host today say that maybe Byron Leftwich removed himself because he knew he wasn't really ready for the job because he's only had five years working directly with players. I mean, that's just so asinine. Like, I, just, I, mean, I, I don't agree with it at all. I, I, again, it feels like goalposts moving every time. Well, everybody wants an offensive guy. What about that defense? Well, that's different. Well, everybody wants us. It's just, and listen, with Eric Bieniemy, I will tell you, Fitz, that I have heard from multiple sources that he is not a good guy, that a lot of people do not like working with him. And I hate to say that because he is a candidate that so many people hold up because of his credentials. I only offer that up because if he does not get hired, I don't want us to keep just saying Eric Bieniemy over and over again as a solution to a much bigger problem. This is not about whether Eric Bieniemy gets hired. It's about a diversity of coaching across the board. And if he's not the guy... There might be good reason for it, is what I've heard. Well, and, and there's I understand be... why he keeps getting named as, as a great candidate, but we should not be down to holding him up as the one savior for this problem. We also, as been pointed out a couple of times on air over the last week, like we shouldn't know the one candidate that everybody's thinking of. The amount of times we sit there and we're constantly surprised by, uh, you know, somebody getting the job that nobody had thought of is is staggering, and it, it's just dumb to me. To think that in a world where Sean McVay is like eight years old and headed to the Super Bowl, we're going to sit here and say that Byron Leftwich needs more time to feel ready. I mean, coaches feel like they're ready for opportunity. It's it's asinine to think otherwise. Yeah, it reminds me of just a couple of years ago, someone telling me the reason that no women work in the NFL is because we don't want to. Oh, there aren't good. enough women who want to work for the NFL. That's why there's no candidates. They're not interested. Okay. Okay. Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going to talk more about the NFL's hiring process with a former NFL GM and ask, is it the duty of black GMs to hire black coaches? It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Let's get some thoughts on all things NFL from former Bills GM uh, Doug Whaley joining us. Doug was the GM for the Bills from 2013 to 2017. Doug, we really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, Before we get into this, what we want to do, I want you to hear something this morning from our morning show. Keyshawn Johnson had this to say on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max about GMs and the responsibilities specifically that black GMs have. I want you to hear this and get your thoughts on it. I believe there is a duty. Doesn't mean you have to. But there is a duty when you are a in a position of power and you are a, a minority, you are black, to take a look at qualified guys and make that happen. I just know that if it was me and I was in the situation and I was the general manager or the athletic director, I wouldn't be there just for to be a pawn, just to stand around as a token. We're not doing that. If I feel like this is the guy that I want to hire and I have a duty to make sure that I am going to change things in our environment, in our culture, and I believe that that black man is the guy that can do it, I'm going to hire him. Doug, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think uh, there's two things that you got to think about. One, if you are a GM or an AD, as long as you have that hiring power, if you are the person making that choice, 
and you think this person is the best candidate for the job? Absolutely. And I think what people may misconstrue this comment that he's saying is that he's just going to hire a black head coach. No, he says that this candidate is the best candidate for the job and he happens to be black. Absolutely. So I don't see anything wrong with that comment. And I definitely see where he's coming from. And I definitely see that that has some merit. But the point being is there's you have to be in that situation where you have the hiring power and or, or the final decision on who that is. And then again, uh, if the candidate you hire someone that is an underrepresented uh, candidate, but he's not qualified, then that's going to actually blow up in your face more than if you fire, hire just the best candidate all over. Now, the, and my thinking is that when you look at this, everybody's just asking for a consistent, fair process. And don't hold standards for one group of people that you're not applying to another group of people. So I think that's where you start digging into the bigger issue. Yeah, I agree. It can't be a mandate, right? Because not only are there plenty of black GMs who don't have entire uh, to hold the entire power of coaching, but also if, if it's about a mandate instead of best for the job, that's not fixing the larger issue, right? Of course, it should always be best for the job. Um, Doug, I'm, I'm curious, as we're listening to so many black coaches talk about what feels like being hired in a no-win situation, in fact, an intentionally lose situation, where they maybe feel like they need to take the job because uh, they haven't gotten an offer of a head coaching position or because to, to turn down a head coach position might be to set back the movement. How often do you feel like there are either GMs or coaches in this business who take a job in a situation that doesn't feel like it's going to be best for them and their record and their legacy because that's the only option they have? Well, you can look at it that way, but you you got to understand, we are in a competitive business, and anybody that's in this business thinks that they can be the, the linchpin to turn an uh, organization around. And when you think about that, that's where you say, is this the best opportunity? Maybe, probably, most likely not. But do I believe in myself and the staff I can put together, the culture I can put in, into place and the processes to overcome the shortcomings of the organization I'm walking into, that's the type of mentality I know I had coming from Pittsburgh to Buffalo, and I know a lot of people think when they take jobs. And there's so few of these jobs. There's only 32. And you wish you had a chance to be selective and say, oh, I'm going to pass this one up. But when you're working from a deficit being a minority and having just the limited opportunities to to get jobs like that, then yeah, you, you feel like you have to do it. And then you can, if you do a good job, then you can be the poster uh, person for the reason why you should hire minority because we can overcome those odds. We're talking to former Bills GM Doug Whaley on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Doug, you know, if you'd asked me a week ago, I'd have said tanking never exists in the NFL. But now we have two uh, former coaches that have made allegations of specific incentivizing to lose. In your experience in the NFL, have you ever seen anything like that? I had never seen anything like that. I've never been around anything like that. I've been in organizations where the paramount uh, philosophy was to do your job at the best ability that you have to help this team win. And everything was the standard of either getting in the playoffs or getting to the Super Bowl. This is uh, a revelation to me, especially with the tie-in of financial gains for tanking. Now, obviously, there's times where you're thinking, okay, we're 
six and six and nine. If we lose this one last game, you, you may go from a tenth pick to a seventh pick. You, you're probably a little ambivalent, like ah, I'd love to win because I'm a competitor, but it's not the worst thing. But to intentionally put your players in a position to lose and not succeed, that is something that, uh, and then be incentivized to it, that's something that I've never heard of, been around, and it's really a shameful part of the game that uh, they're going to have to really investigate and eradicate. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to former Bills GM Doug Whaley here on ESPN Radio. Um, Doug, I'm not surprised we haven't heard from owners in the league about Brian Flores much yet. We've heard from a GM or two. Um, are you surprised we haven't heard more from other coaches uh, that are very secure in their positions? Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick, I know he's kind of in the midst of all of this. Um, are you surprised that more coaches haven't come out to speak on this, especially ones that have enough clout to survive the, 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 the stress of it? I'm, I'm expecting that as more information goes comes out and these coaches get a full free macro view of what this case is and what it is entailing, then I think more guys will, more coaches will come out and, and, and speak on this subject. Right now, all of this hit when majority, I'd say all the coaches were at the senior bowl. So their focus right now is evaluating those college players, either at the Shrine Bowl or the Senior Bowl. So they're going to have to go home next week, take a step back, read that document, and say, okay, where can I interject and help move the needle the most? What can I say? Because it's a delicate su- subject, so they're going to have to get in with their communication staff, their agent, and say, what is the best way to attack this so we can promote the cause? With that being said, Doug, obviously Brian Flores is still considered a finalist in two different uh, opportunities across the league right now that we know of. How will teams handle him in this process trying to figure out how, how he fits in as a head coach? I think you got to handle him just like you would handle him if it didn't happen. Because if you don't and you handle him in, any certain, in a different way and something comes out, then you're going to be wholly implicit in the system that he's coming out and saying that he was trying to change. So you have to really put your blinders on, put that erase memory erase card in there, and just say, all right, this is Brian Flores, the guy that just got fired from the Miami Dolphins that had two winning seasons. Let's look at that, those facts, and not take into consideration the publicity that uh, he has started with this case. Uh, before we let you go, Doug, and we're talking to former Bills GM Doug Whaley, you know, as we're talking about the reasons why um, often owners and, and front offices hire people that remind them of themselves, that run in the same circles, that have similar backgrounds or even last names, I wonder in your experience as you were hiring for jobs and working in the NFL um, or maybe even in the XFL, did you find that there was code switching that was required when you were either speaking to front office members and owners versus when you were working with athletes and other staff? I wouldn't say code switching. I would say, obviously, the, the, the areas that you emphasize are going to be different. Uh, you're going to talk to players in a different, about different subjects. So when we used to bring in free agents or college guys for 30 visits, we'd go for dinner. And what I would say is, okay, let's put your favorite Pandora station on. So we get to find out more about that. Now, if you go to dinner with your, with your 
owner, you're more likely going to say, okay, what's your favorite wine? So it's just different situations. And it's just, and it's, some people will say code switching, but I would say it's just knowing your audience and depending on who your audience is, trying to find out and make them feel comfortable and make them, and you want to elicit a, 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 a foster an environment where they'll open up to you and, and not be tense and tight. I would say this though. Uh, when I start thinking about this subject and as a whole, and I'm, got, I'm going off into a rabbit hole, I think there's two ways the NFL could change the narrative in this conversation. One, there's an opening at the Denver Broncos. Find a minority majority owner. Right. You get that, and then now you can go to the public and say, listen, we went above the head coaching role. We're talking about ownership. Now we have a minority in that exclusive NFL owners club. And then second, unless fans, sponsors, and media start talking about affecting their financial windfalls and start think, talking about not going to games or taking back sponsorships until this is getting affected, we're going to be really spinning our wheels. Because think about it. It's 1989. That was when the first black head coach was Art Shell was in. And, and it's 2022 now, and we still have one. So we're spinning our wheels. And the only thing I think is going to affect that is where you hit owners where they have the most Mm -hmm. influence in changing their mind, and that's their bank accounts. Doug, that's great stuff, man. We really appreciate your time. Enjoy Vegas. Go check out the Neon uh, Museum while you're there. It's the the most spectacular (laughs) thing nobody knows. Uh, Go check it out, Doug. Trust me. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, great stuff from ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Protecting your small business is a big deal. Cover what you've worked so hard for. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. Solutions to the problem, how we can actually move things forward and what all of it means. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Vegas Golden Knights just tweeted out dodgeball at the fanfare for the NHL All-Star Game. It's mascots playing dodgeball. I need more of this in my life. Like, mascots Um, doing anything is already good, but mascots playing dodgeball is spectacular. As a fat kid that always got hit in the face with the dodgeball, like, I still love watching fun people play dodgeball. This this takes cake. I'm I'm all in. Did you see Gritty last night in Vegas? No. What was Gritty? Okay, well, Gritty Gritty performed with the Thunder from Down Under last night. Oh, Gritty. Gritty stripped off his jersey... Arm first, one arm at a time, then the middle, then stripped off his pants to reveal a silver banana hammock. I don't even know if Gritty has a banana, but he had a banana hammock on. And then he took photos sitting on the laps and hanging out with the Thunder from Down Under. So they are doing it right in Vegas. That's why every single All-Star game just needs to be permanently put in Vegas. I'm just just making a motion now. By the way, there's also the... um, Pro Bowl stuff going on, and it's a little wacky this year. Somehow Micah Parsons won fastest man. Tyreek Hill did not get a great start off the line. And now they're doing best catch, but it's involving things like, you know, Stephon Diggs jumping through a table to make a catch. And, and it's a little off. It's a little different. It's different than what I expected. Makes me a little nervous, but then I remember I'm a Raiders fan. I don't have many many Pro Bowlers to go root for. That's <laughs> uh, fair. I miss the old like quarterback competitions that they would play. You know, that were taped early in Hawaii, and they play it right before the season, like the quarterback challenges in the middle of the summer. I think that's happening that's- because I did see some sort of meme about Russ Wilson just absolutely crushing crushing the uh, accuracy challenge. So I think oh. that stuff is is still going on. He won he won the accuracy thing today, throwing the balls through the moving hoops and stuff. I'm in for all of that. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. There, there's so much real conversation happening, and 
I think real conversation about issues is important because it's the way that you maybe get people to to continue thinking. And I said it earlier, you know, in in, in my own life, there's been times in my life when it comes to things like Congress looking at the Washington, uh, the Washington commanders, I guess I should say now, I've a. I've looked at that in my past and said, like, you know, who cares? Doesn't Congress have better things to do? And then I grew up and I realized that a lot of people care and there's reasons to care. As we continue to evolve, you have to find solutions sometimes. And it's hard to find solutions to the issue that the league is facing right now, the National Football League, when it comes to minority hiring in front offices and head coaches. Like, we all know it's broken. We know it's been broken for a long time. The question is... How do you fix it? And that became interesting this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Les Snead, the Rams GM, was asked for his response to the series, or sorry, I should say the situation with Brian Flores and where the NFL is right now. What I do know, what I can say in this deal is what we all know is unfortunately in this matter we're not where we want to be. But I do think fortunately uh, there have been and there currently are Right, a lot of good men and women trying to do their part to get us there. Not there yet, uh, but we're trying to get closer. And, and probably in, in Brian's case, that that's a that's a situation that is part of this pro- process that is progress. Right, that people doing their part to try to get us closer to where we want to be. So. I'm a fan of Lesney, and I think he's uh, uh, been on the forefront of some really great progressive issues in the league. I think he's probably in a tough situation here, talking about this while, to, 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 to Whaley's point, there's not a ton of information out there. So you're stepping around some issues that still need to be clarified, whether that's accusations against the various teams, whether that's the accusations of tanking. Um, but I think we all fully understand that diversity in the coaching positions in the NFL is a problem. I think it's unfortunate and sad that we're in a position where we need to essentially count jobs and say, well, we had five this year and then three and then one and then six and then two. It's a worthy way of tracking, but I think the real progress comes in the gut feeling about how the league operates. And we all know that the gut feeling is that at the ownership level, there is incredible bias. Ryan Clark spoke about this on NFL Live, that the players are viewed as a different class than ownership. And sometimes the difficulty in getting the jobs after the fact is that once they have been you know, planted in the minds of ownership in front offices as players, they cannot be viewed as people who are qualified to hold these jobs. And that's a problem in its own, but beyond that is l- larger implicit bias and and systemic racist ideas that may not even be fully conscious, but are certainly there. And I think that's why it feels kind of gross sometimes to talk about this as if there's quotas, when in fact, it's just an understanding that at the, at the, 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 the most pure level, the people in power in the NFL are, are deeply, deeply affected by, by biases. Well, and I think at some point you have to look at your, attempt to broaden circles and that that has to matter like i've never hidden from my country music past right like in there have been certainly many times in my life where you know okay a guitar player quits mid-tour you got to hire a guitar player and i look back at some of the auditions and you think about how particularly white male those auditions are and it speaks to the circles that you run through because most of the time those are the guys you see on tour like sometimes Part of the emphasis in forcing other people to be on your radar is exactly that, like making yeah. sure it's not about making sure you interview a minority candidate as much as it's about 
by forcing everybody involved to look at more minority candidates, you should be finding more capable candidates. And maybe in that process, you actually find that there's a better guitar player that doesn't right. look like every other guitar player you've ever been around. Like it's If a, your everyday habits are different, then the choices that reveal themselves to you in the moment when you need someone will be different than if you force the issue at the last second because of a requirement due to a rule. Right. And and so part of the issue the league's always going to have is that what you have, it feels like, are 32 people that are in charge of the whole thing that essentially came, came, they are the same. I mean, they're all mm-hmm. different variations of the same thing at this point. And so you don't have a lot of diversity in life experience or diversity in where they are right now and diversity how they live and diversity who they hang out with. Like, that's all, they, they live in a bubble. And until you make that bubble wider, until you sort of get people out of that bubble, you can't impact and affect any real change. I, again, I think Les Snead is probably trying to talk around it enough, and I think he's right in some senses that there are more people around calling the league out for the problem. There are more people around who are invested in making legitimate and authentic change, but until that actually manifests into a meaningful hirings, it doesn't matter that there's people around if the people in power are still blocking it. All right, we'll keep breaking it down, but we've got some NBA to get into next, and we're going to do it with one of our favorite experts at ESPN Radio. Coming up, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. There's bonus Spain and Fitz because we're going all the way into Lakers Clippers on ESPN Radio at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. So we figure if we're going to get a little bit of basketball love coming in after the show, we should get the basketball love into the show as well. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And we're going to talk now to our buddy, our favorite. We're only saying our favorite because she's on the line with us now. But seriously, one of our favorites, ESPN basketball analyst Monica McNutt joins us. Monica, always amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, we're starting to get all of the words on the All-Stars, and snubs are always a big part of it. Is there somebody that you feel like has been left off the radar in the All-Star conversation? Um, you know, Fitz, I'm still stuck at no shade, but Andrew Wiggins being a starter. And mm. so I really haven't been able to honestly take this year's all-star run seriously beyond that. Um, but you know, there's always snubs. So far, I'm, I mean, I'm okay with the reserves. Uh, the you, why, reserves why, do you, why do you not go- want Wiggins as a starter? Sorry, Sarah. Guys, seriously, like, this is where we now get into the argument about positions. And what are we doing in an era of positionless basketball? Like, you can't give me Andrew Wiggins with the year that Anthony Edwards is having. You can't give me Andrew Wiggins with the year that Devin Booker is having. And that's just my top two arguments to which I dare someone to challenge me on anything other than position. So it's the system that you're mad at in addition to the specific of the player? Yeah, I mean, like, listen, Wiggins is having a great year. But come on, Spain. Like, dude might not even be top three on his team when healthy, and he's the one guy that everybody has pointed to is probably going to eat the most of the adjustment, I should say, when Clay comes back to his full minutes. Now, that in and of itself is worthy of a tip of a cap because that's not easy to do, but, like, all-star yeah. starter? His, his numbers Sir? next really? to guys that could be in place of him, like Cat and stuff, are, are worse, objectively worse. Um, there's obviously the, the element of K-pop and the deal that the Warriors made with a K-pop star to help promote. It's it, There's a lot to it. I just At least he's not super far off, right? He was still high in the rankings of the other votes, that it's not as extreme as some of the other fan votes that landed players in that spot. There's an argument, to be sure, 
Um, I just think it's kind of a good story to someone getting somewhere where his potential can be better met. And so I'm kind of letting it slide because of that. We're talking to Monica McNutt. By the way, the West Reserves, Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Draymond Green, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert. Draymond, by the way, saying today he will not be able to play. And then on the East, we've got James Harden, Jason Tatum, Zach Levine, Fred Van Vliet, Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton, and Darius Garland. Let's talk Darius Garland. That Cleveland team... We all thought maybe was off to a hot start and would sink, and they have stayed in the hunt. How deserving is he of a spot representing them? I love that one. Um, I think, and I do think more some more this year than I think we've seen in years past. And maybe I'm just a little bit biased. I think we're seeing a little bit of basketball decisions as opposed to just some kind of names we're accustomed to. And Darius Garland would be one of them. When you watch, okay, first of all, you got to look at Cleveland. The injury to Colin Sexton, like we weren't quite sure what that would be, and. We want Colin Sexton to get healthy, but I think in many ways it's been addition by subtraction for Bickerstaff's group because Garland now owns that position in totality. And he's really a guy that's now doing the third-year thing that you see when guys have this kind of potential. He's having a tremendous year. The way that he runs with Evan Mobley in particular is just fantastic. Um, you thought that the apple cart might have been turned um, upside down with some of the other injuries that they suffered, but he's kept that thing steady. And listen, I know everybody wants to find the next Memphis Grizzlies squad, and I'm not ready to say that yet, but I do think that there's a core that is going to be able to stay together in Cleveland Brewing. We're talking to Monica McNutt, ESPN basketball analyst on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. You mentioned the Grizzlies, which opens the door wide open. I'll admit it first and foremost. I have a loud bias here. I talk to Memphis every week. I love that city. I love that team. I'm happy for them. But how sustainable is the success in your mind for the Grizzlies to go through the rest of the season? Here's the thing. Like, Ja is one element of the Grizzlies. But when you really look down their roster, and I'm kind of with you, Fitz. Last week I had a chance to bop around on a couple different podcasts uh, from Mrs. Grizzlies fan base. Climate has just done a really good job drafting. Like, Jaron Jackson Jr. is NBA prototype and a terrific defender, right? Like, I'm riding around today with our buddy King McClure, who played against Desmond Bain at TCU in the Big 12. He's like, Desmond Bain averaging 16 points? I'm like, 17? is crazy. Like, the way that they've been able to put pieces around Ja, um, and I think, you know, Taylor Jenkins, to me, Right now, I'm hard-pressed to find anyone else I think is more deserving of Coach of the Year in terms of really stirring that pot just so. Um, I kind of was like, oh, wow, when they let, um, gosh, Valanchunas go this summer. I thought that was a little bit odd. I kind of thought Grayson Allen was a guy that fit the bill in terms of the personality of that squad a little bit. So I was like, hmm, what's going on out there? Steven Adams, insert, no problems asked. Um, Bain takes this next step in terms of Grayson Allen from last year, like, uh, Williams off the bench, Zaire Williams, who just torched the Knicks the other night. Like, they've got pros. Like, you've got a star in Ja, and they have got legitimate pros around them and a system and an identity that fits that unit perfectly. Monica McNutt is with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Monica, you mentioned the Knicks, and I know that's your account, so it's tough for you to dog them, but I have to ask, does it feel like as this season goes on, they've regressed and you're looking at last season differently? Maybe some things were luck. Maybe some things went right that weren't uh, an indication of how the team had actually evolved or progressed, but rather that they're now uh, back to more an accurate depiction of this team's skill level. You know, Spain... We had a very honest conversation on the post-game show a couple weeks back, and my legitimate question became, was some of that success the byproduct of an unusual COVID year in which yeah. the only other place you could go besides your house was the gym? Yeah. And so, yes, 
Um, I do think that the team has taken a step back, but I also think some of the moves they made this offseason didn't necessarily respect or didn't align, I should say, with the identity that they were starting to have as a hard-nosed defensive team. Listen, Evan Fournier puts up 30 against Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies. He is a flamethrower. His J is beautiful. But in terms of, like, Tibbs wants guys that defend, I don't know that Evan and Kemba fit that bill in particular in terms of being the big free agent deals over the summer. And then, frankly, your all-star last year and Julius Randle has regressed. And so mm-hmm. – uh, here you go, Tips. Now we get to see what your coaching can cook up in that front office as we approach the trade deadline. So how does the East shake out by the time it's all said and done? Ooh, I think people are sleeping on both Philly and Miami. I think Miami less so because people understand that they're getting healthy. But, you know, whether or not you buy Philly is wasting Ben Simmons or however you think that should go, I think Joel Embiid is really doing something special in a way that's almost an ode to throwback basketball. Um, I think Tyrese Maxey is starting to turn a corner. I, I have always been a fan of Tobias Harris, and maybe this is the year that he's able to show up in kind in the big-time postseason games. But I got I, – right now, I mean, I think it's the Bucks to lose if they can stay healthy. Um, but I, I just think Miami and Philly shouldn't be slept on for not – at least Philly for not having a complete big three. Can't believe she didn't even mention the Bulls. She's yeah. just – Digging through the well, east. You know, those injuries, Sarah, like that state, ooh, those injuries. I mean, De- DeRozan, listen, DeRozan and Levine are incredible, and the way they talk about one another is, is amazing in terms of the opportunity to play with such guys of that talent caliber. But I don't know, like, I, how, many, how many more injury blows can they take? And in the series, listen, like, come ooh. see us in six to eight weeks, okay? Six yeah, to eight there you weeks go. is <laughs> all we need. <laughs> about six to eight oh, weeks. <laughs> man, this is this is. I, I need the Bulls to be good though because it's it's a beacon of light for Sarah right now. Yes, let's just I need let's it. have nice things. I need it, Monica. <laughs> we appreciate you hanging out with us. Thanks so much for the time, my friend. Uh, try and stay warm through everything. Absolutely. All right, y'all have a good show. Thanks for having me. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight. Clippers host the Lakers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 9.30 Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Got a lot to get to, so we're going to do it the way only this show can. We got quickies coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. There's a bunch to get to, and we are going to do it the way only this show can. It's time for some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Now, it's important, usually, when we start into quickies, we get straight through a bunch of different things. But this one is important, Sarah, and it involves your Blackhawks, as they are back in the news. Yeah, for all the bad reasons. Uh, This is not (laughs) a good hockey team, and they have struggled to keep a fan base that got very spoiled by the success they had, three titles in about seven or eight years. Um, And that would be a problem on its own. But there was an incident with Kyle Beach, a former player, who alleged sexual assault, the hands of an employee that the team tried to bury. They pulled the old NFL, this has no merit, right, in in responding to him. And, of course, it later came out that there was very much uh, to be said and done about Kyle Beach and about the way the Blackhawks harbored and incubated a, a sexual predator. Last night, there was a town hall, and Mark Lazarus, a local Blackhawks reporter here, Uh, asked a question of Rocky Wirtz, team chairman, who uh, had been beloved for bringing the aforementioned titles to town. And this was how Rocky responded to what was a very clear question that anyone could have told you the Blackhawks were going to get at this town hall. 
I think much of what happened to Kyle Beach stemmed from a, a power imbalance between a coach and a player and the powerlessness of a player in that situation. So what are the Blackhawks doing? What have the Blackhawks done? What will the Blackhawks do to empower a player in a similar situation to make sure that doesn't happen again? I'm going to answer the question okay. at the end. I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here. We're not looking back at 2010. We're looking forward. And we're not going to talk about 2010. I'm we're, not about I, I know, and I'm not either. And we're not going to talk about what happened. We're moving forward. That is my answer. Now, what's your next question? I can pick up to what we are doing today. And I think no, I don't know. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. What we're going to do today is our business. I don't think it's any of your business. How is it not my business? Because I don't think it's any of your business. You don't work for the company. If someone in the company asks that question, we'll answer it. And I think you should get on to the next subject. We're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to talk about anything that happened. Now we're moving on. What more do I have to say? You want to keep asking the same question? You hear the same answer? Okay, ask the next question. Okay, so worth mm. noting that his son, who also works for the team, is the one who tried to chime in and explain what the team is doing. And if there are processes or policies in place, he shut him up and did the absolute worst thing possible, which is to say we aren't going to address the thing that happened under our watch and we're therefore not going to be able to prevent it from happening in the future because this is how things never change. When people in power are too arrogant to do the actual work of addressing the things that happened, admitting the failures that led to those things, committing to change, engaging honestly and authentically with a real intent to make things better, not just PR, not just window dressing. And he should not be in his position with the Blackhawks if he can't be transparent with the public and internally on how the team is going to protect athletes and prevent abuse. There are players who are getting drafted by this team at 18, 19 years old. And their family should send them somewhere where there has been previous abuse and, and, and previous behaviors that were allowed. And you're not going to explain any solid protocol or process to prevent future incidents. We do this way too much in sports. We allow people to enable abuse because they want to protect the institutions that they love and that make them money. And we are well beyond allowing them to play dumb when it comes to reporting it and stopping it. And we're well beyond allowing them to go to the, we're not going to talk about it, we're moving on. This should not be a gotcha question, Fitz, because they should have a plan in place and they should want to brag about it. If you if you cared about it and you prioritized fixing it, you would have the right things in place and you would want to talk about it so that everyone would know that things had changed. And instead, you're hiding, you're rejecting questions, you're yelling at reporters. Another reporter came up and asked again, and he doubled down and made it even worse. And I don't, I don't see how he could possibly run this team after this, despite his family having been in ownership and power forever. And I, I, I think an already embarrassed and disgusted fan base is backing away from the team even more. People I know who are lifelong fans have no interest in supporting the team. Yeah, I think that's the, the biggest part of it is that when, when you've gone through what everybody's gone through in this process, you now have to be more transparent than ever. Yep. And that's so key. And that's just true of anybody that is on the wrong side of anything. Afterwards, you have to be more transparent. And the window for how long that lasts is up to the people that have been most impacted by it. And that can last forever. So there's going to be a requirement of more transparency from the Blackhawks because this happened. And uh, for them to handle it this way speaks to everything that they haven't learned in this process. And it's an mm -hmm. unfortunate moment. And until more fans 
demand better from them, they won't change in what they do. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I appreciate the honesty on that, obviously, as we continue to look at the Blackhawks. Uh, you did a great job of explaining it. Let's move on to nice. the next story in Quickies. Quickies. And that would be the WNBA. It's been a big week. And today, in fact, there was a big trade, by the way, free agency coming through. And we'll get to what it means for my Vegas Aces. But a big trade today. The Phoenix Mercury acquired Diamond to Shields from your Chicago Sky mm-hmm. as part of a three-team deal that also sent Bria Hartley to the Indiana Fever. Of note, Indiana receives the seventh pick in the draft from Chicago this year and the Sky's first-round choice next year. Chicago Chicago gets Julie Alleman from Indiana as well as Phoenix's first pick next season. So a bunch of moving parts there as a big trade happens for the Sky, who should feel pretty good about things right now. Yeah, I mean, there are some question marks as they try to defend their title. Uh, Steph Dolson went to the Liberty, going home to play in New York. Um, There are some pieces that sound positive now. There was a real question mark about Courtney Vandersloot. Allegedly, she was lowballed on an offer, and it was potentially that her her team out in Russia would pay her to stay out of the WNBA and play only out in, in, in Russia. And that's a question mark for Allie Quigley, obviously, as they're married as well. Newest reports are that they are likely to return to the Skyfits. You never want to have your team win it all. And then a whole bunch of people flee. Now, Diamond DeShields, we kind of expected her role with the team had changed a bit when Candace Parker signed. But I think they have a really good shot of running it all back if you get if you get Sloot and Quigley and everything else. Speaking of running it back, the other big thing that we were wondering about as we headed to, into WNBA free agency was Brianna Stewart, who was very much flirting with leaving the storm. Instead, they run it back for Sue Bird's 19th and presumably final year. Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd, all of them are coming back to the storm, which is huge. And same goes for Jonquil Jones uh, sticking around with the sun, the reigning MVP. Uh, there are a lot of people maybe thinking there might be some serious anarchy and some of the biggest and best names leaving. For the most part, your girl, Asia Wilson's back with the Aces, Kalia Copper's back with the with the sky like all the people that could have made a big 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 move are for the most part staying put yeah asia wilson back on what the reporting is a two-year contract i do think i know we were going to move on here but i do think it's also important to note big news for the WNBA thursday there's a new capital raise with new investors and yes. existing WNBA and nba owners that's expected to be 75 million dollars they're going to use that for marketing brand elevation, globalization of the league, uh, as they say, addressing obstacles to growth. Sarah, we talk about the WNBA NBA a lot on the show. We're both fans. But part of what you want for the league is more money coming in to help the league continue to grow. $75 million is a substantial investment that I think is a statement to what they're continuing to pour into the league to make sure it grows. Completely agree. And this is something Angela Ruggiero is actually one of the investors there. And she's behind the Sports Innovation Lab and the fan project that I've talked about on this show, my podcast all over the place, which was the data and the actual statistics behind the incredible growth of women's professional sports and the money that can be made and should have already been made yesterday. She's a part of these people who are buying into that. And that investment is huge because women's sports needs that investment to grow. We can't keep giving our boys $10 and our girls one and then asking why they aren't paying it off in the end. Well, and it's going to be an exciting season. Can't wait to cover it. It's going to be an exciting Olympics. We'll start covering that for you next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, an extra half hour. Woo! means an extra large Spain and Fitz. We're taking you into Lakers Clippers right here on ESPN Radio at 9.30 Eastern. We're going to get into some NBA talk and that losing skid for the Nets that continues in a little bit. But the Olympics are underway, baby. 
was watching some women's hockey today. My girl Kendall Coyne Schofield scored a goal. Mm. We need to get up to date on the stories that we'll be watching for. We are way behind. We have been in our NFL bag and ESPN senior writer Alyssa Ronick is going to join us now and tell us all the good stuff. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hi, guys. So we listened to your ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre, and everybody should go listen to that because there's some really great, longer, stretched-out stories about some of these great athletes and the things we should be looking for. But we don't have as long as ESPN Daily. So we want your top five stories and or athletes to be watching for in Beijing, let's start with number five. Well, I, I guess we'll just start with tonight. You know, Nathan Chen, this is the first chance. I mean, I think as soon as your show ends, I would go straight over to NBC to primetime, and it's the first chance to see him him in action. And, you know, if you remember last year, last time around at Pyeongchang, he was a hands-down gold medal favorite, as he is again, and struggled in Pyeongchang, didn't come away with a gold medal, and, you know, has gone four years now, and he's lost one contest uh, mm. in, in four years. And so this is the first chance to see him. It's the team event. They're two-time Browns medalists. We'll see him likely perform his short program tonight. And, and four years ago, he had some bobbles. He looked not himself in this event. And that seemed to be a harbinger of, of what was the cause to actually look back on that now. And so I think tonight could really set the stage for what we're going to see from Nathan Chen. And, you know, even if you're not a, a figure skating fan, man, he is something to behold. Just to watch him land one quad, let alone, I think, four or five he has in his program. So, um, yeah, I think we would start with Nathan Chen tonight, uh, kicking off two weeks of, of incredible figure skating competition. By the way, who's not a figure skating? Like, I feel like the Olympics is when all of a sudden (laughs) we're all experts on what a triple sow cow is, and then we have no idea. Uh, All right, so, Alyssa, what's another story that you're super excited for? Well, this weekend, uh, you know, one of my favorite events, which is snowboarding slope style. And so there's so many storylines there. Jamie Anderson, the women start the competition on Saturday, and Jamie Anderson is going for her third straight win. Red Gerard, if you remember Red Gerard and the crazy Gerard family from yeah. four years ago, mm-hmm. standing at the bottom of the half pipe, shotgunning beers and all that. Uh, he's going for a, a second win. He's certainly the favorite again. And I think the biggest storyline there is that four years ago, you know, there had been so much progression since Sochi and the conditions just did not allow for anyone to showcase that. I mean, arguably the women's event should have been canceled. It was incredibly dangerous, high winds, low visibility, And so really no one in the men's or women's event had the opportunity to show what they were capable of. So in many ways, this is a story about redemption for every single one of them, just wanting to go out and show just how far the sport has progressed in the in the now eight years since Sochi. And, you know, I think Jamie and Red have a good a shot as anyone uh, to walk away with another gold. Love that. Jamie Anderson, friend of the show, has been on the show before, and she's always a hit over there. Lots of fun. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, talking to ESPN senior writer Alyssa Ronick, our Olympics expert, giving us her top five storylines or athletes to watch for in Beijing. Number three. Well, I think I've already snuck in, what, like four or five athletes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're doing a great job of uh, going around the rules. Think, we like it. <laughs> I think. I think you can't talk about the Olympics without talking about snowboard halfpipe, right? So on the women's side, you have Chloe Kim, who was one of the biggest breakout stars of the last Olympics. 
She has been undefeated. So she took some time off after Pyeongchang. She's spoken really openly about her struggles with mental health, uh, with depression, with uh, dealing with bullying and, and, and anti-Asian hate. And she went to school. She went, went to Princeton for a couple of years and, and stepped away. And since she's returned, she's been undefeated. And she is as sure a bet as anyone in Pyeongchang, sorry, in Beijing. Um, she's just absolutely incredible. And I think the biggest thing to watch for in that contest is to see what new tricks she unveils. She's, she's let us know she has at least two new tricks that she hasn't done before. I'm imagining at least one of them is a double cork. And so not only do I think she's going to win that event, I think she's going to do it with a run that uh, includes some tricks that no woman has done before. So um, on the women's side, you know, that she, and she has some great competition. You know, one of them coming from, you know, her own teammate, Maddie Maestro, uh, Carol Castellet, who's being coached by, a, you know, an American uh, two-time silver medalist, Danny Cass. But Chloe really does stand alone in that sport. Alyssa's and then I think then we just go to the men's side of that, you know, Sean White is back for his fifth Olympics and certainly has a lot of the attention on him, but he is not the gold medal favorite. I mean, I, I think few people would be surprised if Sean doesn't make the podium. Uh, right now, the story there is about triple corks, uh, a sort of what we'd call a whisper trick in the, in the sport of half-pipe snowboarding for a long time. And all three riders from Japan have them. We saw them land them in practice during training in Austria. And I think the entire snowboard world, um, of turned on its head watching that and and it, mm. and it changed the, the it just changed the course of the rest of contest season everyone started chasing that trick and so certainly the two Hirano brothers and the entire Japanese team there is a chance they could sweep that podium Scotty Scotty James from Australia you know crazy enough the three the top three riders from four years ago are, are still the story Scotty James Sean White and, and Ayumu Hirano um, but I think my pick there is Ayumu Hirano he's been the bridesmaid at the past two Olympics and I think this is his time we're talking to Alyssa Ronick ESPN senior writer on Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio Sarah Spain Jason Fitz again you can get a deep dive on the ESPN daily podcast a couple of days ago did a great job of this but we're getting your top five so what's the next uh, what are we at number two bad, bad, we're either bad. at two and one were the men in the snowboard half pipe two or were they one <laughs> And were they three? <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with three U.S. athletes whose names I think everyone know, but this time they're competing for different countries. So Gus Kenworthy, who yeah. uh, ESPN magazine readers know, uh, he was born in the U.K. His mother is British, and he is competing in his third and final Olympics um, for his mother's country. Louis Vito, multiple-time snowboard halfpipe competitor, is competing for his father's country of Italy. And Eileen Gu, who is um, probably one of the biggest names uh, in action sports right now, she is has the potential to win three gold medals in free skiing. Um, but she is competing for her mother's home country of China and, and certainly the most uh, controversial of the three country switches. And she... You know, she has become a superstar in China in the lead up to these games. She has the potential to triple China's medal, gold medal haul from the last Olympics on her own. And so I think Eileen is going to be a really big story. She competes at the beginning of the games and all the way at the end of the game. And so I think she's, you know, she's probably going to come out of this as, as, as the biggest athlete to watch. I mean, I think she is in many ways the number one, even though she's not competing for the, for the U.S. 
So we've got the country switchers in it. Is that number two? Are we now at number one? Are we at are we at Alyssa Ronick, our Olympic expert, our ESPN senior writer, number one story slash athlete to watch for in Beijing? <laughs> oh, I think I did this backwards. I think I've I think I have <laughs> failed you all. Well, let's go with let's go with with the the big air ramp, and um, you know that event is where you know it's it's really the where all the progression is. It's the um, on both the men's and the women's side. So this time, the big air ramp is a is a solid structure. It's the first permanent big air ramp built in in the history of the sport. It's um, right outside of Beijing, so it's in the city. I don't know what's going to happen with with fans, but in theory, if this event takes place, you know, in the future. Um, on these type of ramps, you'll be able to then go and watch a big air contest in a major city um, with a little bit of blown snow. So what we are probably going to see from the women and men is a lot of triple corks. It's the debut of the event for the free skiers, even though the ramp was built at the last Olympics, free skiers didn't compete. So you're going to see the Eileen Goose um, and all of the slope style competitors in free skiing and in slope style have the chance. And, you know, there's, uh, on the women's side, Anna Gasser, who is just an incredible, incredible athlete. She won last year. And one of my favorite things about her is she is the only athlete I know of in snowboarding, woman athlete, who has a, a, a female coach who is mm. a former competitor um, on, the, on the Austrian team. And so it's one of the incredibly cool things. And I've had some really interesting conversations with Anna about just how Unique it is to have a woman's voice in your ear when you're about to drop into that ramp. So I think there's a good chance we see her go back to back. And, and also Jamie, Jamie Anderson, I think we're going to see uh, the first 1260 from Jamie Anderson in her career. I think she's going to go out. I think this is her last Olympics. She's likely going to retire after these games, and I think she's going to go out with a bang. All right, if you've got you right, we're flipping these. Number five, free ski, big air debut. Number four, country switchers. Number three, snowboard, halfpipe. Chloe Kim and her new tricks in the triple corks on the men's side. Number two, snowboarding, slope style, Anderson and Gerard. And number one, Nathan Chen, figure skating, kicking things off tonight. Of course, you'll have to stick around for Michaela Schifrin and the bobsledding uh, drama and all that. Uh, so much good stuff. Alyssa, fantastic. I'm so excited. I feel very ready to watch now. Thanks, Alyssa. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, as you're talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, we didn't even talk about Schifrin and yeah, and yeah. Taylor. There's just too many good stories. The U.S. women's hockey stories. trying to defend their title against Canada hockey. in one of the best gold medal matches I've ever seen in my whole life. Ah, uh, there's and too without, much without Brianna Decker now. Yeah, that's there's, right. There's I too know. Many oh, well, we'll have to have you back. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Get the get the yeah, sleep and the you, coffee and whatever you need to keep covering <laughs> it all the way over there. Thanks so much. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Alyssa Ronick. Follow her all of the Olympics. She's got all the good stuff. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You could save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Speaking of that gold medal game between the U.S. and Canada a couple years ago, we've got a nod to the pod with one of the members of that team next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Awesome stuff from Melissa Ronick there as the Olympics officially gets underway with tonight's primetime specials of coverage starting uh the action has been underway and one of the things we've gotten to see so far already is some of the u.s women's hockey team uh this morning winning an early uh early game uh an injury though unfortunately fits and you know you hate to see it for everything that these players have to get through just to be healthy enough to avoid covid to get there uh brianna decker 
tournament ending injury in that women's hockey game this morning the very first outing star forward uh looks like a pretty severe leg injury based on initial reports and she got tripped from behind to the left of the net and then uh fell fell awkwardly and a bad bad looking injury so they are uh, immediately uh will have to deal with that adversity but that is one of the things i am most excited to watch in part because of my friend kendall coin at spain and fitz Sarah spain jason fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 we are taking you into lakers clippers on espn radio at 9 30 eastern uh, while we're on the injury tip, LeBron James said to miss his fifth straight tonight with swelling in his left knee. We'll get back to the NBA. Fitz, I mentioned Kendall Coyne Schofield. Not only is she a tremendous athlete, a gold medalist, a captain of the hockey team, co-owner of the Chicago Red Stars with me, but I just read her new book, As Fast As Her, and man... She has an incredible story of perseverance in terms of trying to play a sport that wasn't easy to find girls' teams for and wasn't easy to be a part of. Um, so let's hear a little bit of some of what she had to go through in this week's Nod to the Pod. Here's this week's Nod to the Pod. The pod. For a while there, you sort of could, could play alongside your brother, or at least in similar leagues um, on boys' teams. Um, you eventually got the opportunity to play in this big tournament in Quebec City. It was the first time that there was a girls team playing all girls against all the boys teams. You were super excited. And then at the tournament, there were people in the crowd throwing pennies at you and screaming that you didn't belong. And this was what, like nine-year-old, 10-year-old? Yeah, 10. 10-year-old. 10-year-old girls that people are throwing things at. And you guys did really well and the next year they banned you <laughs> like it was like a one-off deal like you made it you played they didn't like that you were so good and then they banned girls like what a message to get at 10 years old yeah and i and it, it's another one of those moments in the book where you don't understand the why necessarily in that moment uh but then as i got older i really started to understand the why and i was like that why needs to change um at first i'm you know, I'm looking around like, why are these pennies on the ice? And you're, as a kid, you're trying to dig them out. Like, they're not coming out. What do we do? Like, you know, and, and, and I talked already about one of those pioneers being Menel Riam. Uh, 20 years prior to us entering the, an all-girls team into the tournament, uh, she played and she was the first girl to ever play in the tournament. And they had to change the rules to allow her to play. And so when we went to the tournament and she was our coach, there was so there were cameras everywhere, a lot of attention on us. And a lot of people didn't want us. And it was, I didn't get it. I was like, we, we love this game too. We belong in this game too. Um, you know, we we can play. Why, why can't we play? Um, and so, again, I didn't I, did, I didn't realize it at first maybe why those pennies were being thrown on the ice. Uh, uh, but then a couple months later when I was an underager, so I was eligible to return the next year as a true uh, peewee major, and we were told we weren't allowed to go, then I got why they were throwing the pennies on the ice. Then I got why Mano was trying to shield us from like the negativity as 11 year olds that we didn't deserve. And so um, it, you, you didn't, it's so, when I think back on my career, I, I recognize like the inequities, the inequalities, the, the, the moments that, you know, happened to me simply because of my gender and, and, I start to realize how long they've actually been happening. For more, please subscribe and listen to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain on your smart speaker or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, I think you got it there, but like adults were throwing pennies at nine-year-old girls because they didn't want them in the tournament so that they would stick in the ice and they would trip on them when they skated. I, but, but why? I, like, 
I realize that this just makes me an idiot, maybe. But, like, okay, you, you and I have talked about this before. If you're not a fan of the WNBA, cool, turn it off. Like, I, I'm not particular. like, I, I, don't, I don't watch bowling. Doesn't mean that I'm going to go there and, right. and, and like eviscerate people that choose to bowl with their their spare time. I'm not a golf guy. Like I don't. As we cover every year in the Masters, and people laugh at me. Like I've I've walked the course of of Augusta, and I am not impressed. But Fitz, like, you're I, a normal person who like, wouldn't throw things at little girls because they're incri- infringing upon spaces that you think are sacred for boys. That's like, the that's problem. Just the, that's just the part that it, you know. And I'm the first to admit that maybe because. I did grow up around so many people in the entertainment industry and so many people that were male and female that, you know, or the LGBTQIA part of life was big for me growing up. I don't think I necessarily saw gender roles the same as a lot of people. But I look at it and say, like, I, I, I cannot say this loud enough. Like, I want the Raiders to win a football game. And I don't care if that means that they need 53 women on their active roster or 53. <laughs> I don't give a damn. As long right. as they win. Like, I want to see athletes have the opportunity to be great athletes. I don't care what they look like. The concept that you have to fight through that just to play a sport is just, it's stupid. Like, we should be better as a society. Yeah, it's it's really upsetting. And when you read her book, she details how much sacrifice and time and work and effort and blood, sweat and tears and injuries went into being the best at what she does. And then you learn that as of 2019 in her professional league, she was the highest paid player and she made $7,000. Again, there's conversations to be had about pay in sports being requisite to, to the money made, but investment is required. And not holding girls and women back is a part of that. And that's why there are so many conversations about the NCAA giving 133000 to every dollar for, for, for the boys versus the girls and things like that. It's really a really great interview with Kendall Coyne Schofield. And I told her flat out, if she was a six foot five WNBA player, the amount of attention she would get for being such a badass for the groundbreaking she's done she's a a coach with the blackhawks she's an owner with the red stars there's an interview about her in the la times today calling her this generation's next billy jean king but she is so small and she has such a sweet voice that i think people really underestimate just how incredible she is i constantly go back to my my mindset around to what you said you know the money comes in and how much of that gets parsed out to the people involved in it but i grew up a classical music kid like there's no money in classical music, mm-hmm. but there's still a viable way to make a living. Like we, we decide as a society what we want to make important. And same argument I've had with scholarships and the opportunities that are available for young violinists and how they are different in the, what they ask of kids than they do of young football players. But I'll, I'll look across the board. Like we choose to constantly fund things on PBS that don't make a lot of money. Like they're all over the place. There are, there's a conscious decision by society to value certain things in culture and it doesn't matter how much money they make we value them and we find a right. way to supplement it until they can make money and yeah i was gonna say that's real p- part of that is also that if you then show that investment and if you then give it a chance watch how it thrives look at u.s women's national team soccer look at some of the ways that women can succeed when they are given those opportunities coming up on spain and fits we'll get back to the nfl in crisis and today's commanders and congress open session you're listening to the spain and fits podcast spain and fits On ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. That great music you hear is because you got bonus Spain and Fitz. We're going all the way to 9.30 Eastern where we will get you set up for the NBA tonight. We've got Clippers, Nets, don't want to miss that. But up until then, 
we've got a lot to keep breaking down. And the NFL is a huge part of the conversation because we all know the Brian Flores uh, lawsuit. We talked a lot about that yesterday as the former coach of the Dolphins uh, is now suing the NFL and several teams for uh, the sham interviews he feels he's went on uh, uh, that were all part of the Rooney rule and also allegations of tanking games uh, you know, for payment, incentivizing, I should say. Uh, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, though, today we finally get the opportunity to get more information on the Washington football team, now the commanders, as they had to stand to step in front of Congress. We begin to hear more in the allegations of mistreatment for people inside the building for the commanders. And Sarah, I think there's a couple of important things to stress right out of the gate. And part of this is why we're talking about it, because Congress wants information and and the NFL is used to being able to look at anybody and say you know what we're only going to tell you what we want to tell you we're not going to get you more than that but Congress decided that wasn't enough which I think Sarah is a significant part of this like part of why we're talking about it is because Congress is forcing this conversation to happen yeah, because they're saying, listen, you don't get to get away with just saying this was uh, this was just an oral report. We're not going to release any of the findings, in part because there are larger issues at hand here, which include NDAs. And there's larger conversation across the employment world, especially in the wake of Me Too, about being able to pay employees to hide secrets of criminal acts. And Tisha Thompson, our ESPN investigative and enterprise reporter, was on NFL Live today talking about that very thing. And they're looking at two things. One, legislation for all types of companies that would prevent the use of non-disclosure agreements and confidentiality agreements, of which all of these women in Washington had to sign, to be used to what they call cover up uh, instances of sexual assault and sexual harassment. Congressman Gerald Connolly and others also emphasized that it is Congress that gives the NFL its special tax status. And another congresswoman pointed out today that it was about $8 billion that the NFL was able to pocket last year because of that special status. That comes to about $250 million a team. And that is money that could be used by the taxpayers. Yeah, uh, there's a number of things there that the NFL should be worried about when Congress is getting involved. In, and, and again, Fitz, I can't, I can't say this enough times. Why is the NFL continuing to defend and stand by Dan Snyder? He has brought nothing but shame. His, his stadium is falling apart. His culture is toxic. The name was racist. The attendance has done nothing but go down since he arrived. The winning has gone down. Why are they continuing to defend this man when they have more than enough evidence to remove him from his team? And I know the best answer is probably every other owner doesn't want the NFL going into their house and looking for their issues. But my God, at some point, you have to recognize the damage he's doing to this league. I mean, I don't have to be brilliant. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Good thing, because I'm not brilliant, but... There's a chance for the NFL here to get a huge win. They go through all of this process. They decide, you know what? We're not going to let uh, Dan Snyder continue to run this team. The, the toxic culture needs to be stopped. We're going to step in. We're going to bring in a new ownership group. And by the way, that ownership group is going to include minorities. Like, look at the number of easy things that are right there in front of the league to, to turn around and say, hey, we've got all this figured out. But there is some point in my mind where what the league's always relied on is simply being the most powerful entity available. And that's, uh, again, I'll use this NCAA comparison. I, I really thought the NCAA was never going to change because nobody would ever have more power until local governments started stepping in and saying, you know what, name, image, likeness 
is something we believe in and we don't care if you do. And now the the NCAA has been chasing their own tail for how long because they don't have a policy, couldn't get it figured out. They were instead toppled by somebody more powerful than they are. I wonder how the NFL is going to react when they are trying to hide all of this information. They're also fighting their own lawsuit from John Gruden about some of that information. Mm -hmm. They're dealing with all of this at the same time that Congress is saying, you know what, spill it all. And if Congress really wants them to spill it all, they don't have any way to say no to that. They don't have a way to stop that. If Congress steps in and says, we want every ounce of detail involved in this and every one of your processes, this could be absolutely a nightmare scenario for the NFL. Yeah. Um, The NFL... uh continues to provide information requested by the Congress uh, that, that began in October with that request, but there are over 650,000 emails and documents related to that internal investigation uh, across a number of topics. Um, did not say what the NFL has submitted yet. Did say the league has not turned over the Wilkinson report, nor the video of the female employees from the, the Washington football team that was recorded without their permission. Um, so it feels like there are a number of things that would be very damning to the to the, to, to to Dan Snyder, to the Washington team, to everybody else, if they actually were willing to release this, the investigation they did. And Fitz, there is not a good answer that you can give as to why you would keep that private. They are con- they are continuing to victimize the women who have been brave enough to come forward by saying that it is because of them that they are keeping it private, that they did not want those women's uh, statements and, and comments to be made public when they are asking for it. They are wearing shirts in Congress that say release the report. And the NFL is continuing to use them as meat shields for why they don't want to release that information. Another thing that came up today that had not come up before, uh, because one of the women uh, uh, that I guess testified or spoke today um, had said previously she didn't want to tell a specific story, but she and her husband decided it was time to come forward. She was a former marketing and events coordinator for the team. Tiffany Johnston said she was strategically placed next to Dan Snyder at a work dinner. He placed his hand on her thigh under the table. She said, I learned that job survival meant I should continue my conversation with another coworker rather than call out Dan Snyder right then in the moment. I also learned later that evening how to awkwardly laugh when he aggressively pushed me toward his limo with his hand on my lower back encouraging me to ride with him to my car. I learned how to continue to say no, even though a situation was getting more awkward, uncomfortable, and physical. I learned that the only reason Dan Snyder removed his hand from my back and stopped pushing me toward his limo was because an attorney intervened and said, Dan, Dan, this is a bad idea, very bad idea, Dan. I learned I should remove myself from his grip while his attorney was distracting him. She also said, and I want to remind you, This is her boss and the owner of the team, and she is a marketing and events coordinator who is at work, employed by Dan Snyder. Again, imagine you are her, and Dan Snyder is your boss. He asked for an unedited photo of her wearing lingerie for a promotional calendar to be altered, enlarged, and sent to his office and demanded it urgently because, according to Tiffany Johnston, he knew that the graphic artist was getting ready to Photoshop her personal areas before the edit-approved version could go out. So he wanted this while it was still visible that you could see all of her private parts enlarged and sent to his office. Of his employee. You have a group with the NFL that stands by an owner that acts this way. And all I can think about is 32 billionaires that are used to being able to outspend and outsue anybody in any litigatory situ- litig- litigation uh, in anywhere. And this is the one time they can't. And that's where, 
you know, if Congress really wants to change anything with the NFL, and not just with the NFL, but also with the way businesses in general do their business, like the NDA portion of this is so huge that they're going to look at non-disclosures as a national policy and say, are they being used the correct way? It's so powerful in the way that it has shielded people that have done awful things. And it's powerful for Congress to look at ways to change it. And if the NFL has to be the guinea pig in that, I'm all for it, as long as it creates some level of change. As this information comes out, the National Football League better be ready to answer for why they have protected Daniel Snyder for this long. If this information continues to come out, there's going to be real questions about what Roger Goodell knew, what every other owner knew, and why they chose to protect him. You can tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, by the way. Get you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Coming up, an expert tells us the most troubling thing about one team's recent slide. And we'll get you set for Lakers, Clippers, a lot of NBA talk coming up next. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. You are not confused. We are on late. An extra large episode of Spain and Fitz because we're taking you into Lakers, Clippers right here on ESPN Radio at 930 Eastern. LeBron James set to miss a fifth straight game with swelling in his left knee and we'll quickly talk i want to talk about the nets and what they've been going through which was capped off by a loss to the kings of all teams mm. let's quickly talk about the lakers struggles fits as we get later into the season i said a couple days ago i finally made the new rule about tom brady and not picking against him no matter how old he is or how bad things look and not only did he lose but he retired like i finally added that to my book of sports rules right when he the only inevitability mostly in football in the last two decades finally disproves his own rule i'm wondering if i need to do the same with my lebron james rule because this lakers team this far into the season woof i mean woof. first of, i mean uh, this maybe. is unbelievable that they are at 25 and 27 what i just heard is that you're the reason that brady retired he realized that if he <laughs> couldn't even hold in. up to your rule he's like <laughs> That's it. Screw it. I'm out. I don't, you know, I, I don't blame him. He's like, I let Sarah Spain down. I'm done. That's it. You know, I, I don't blame him. Uh, yeah, I think the concerning part, and this was something we discovered last week as we were de- uh, diving into the Lakers a little bit. Uh, they've played a soft schedule so far, and they're still not in a good spot. And you start to look at that and say, okay, they go into a game tonight against the Clippers. And all I'm going to think every time this year that these two teams play right now is that this isn't what it was supposed to be like the the Lakers were supposed to have this transcendent moment for AD who can't stay healthy and AD was going to take the torch from LeBron who also has had his own health issues and in the process of that the two of them were going to be so good that whatever pieces of junk they put around them were going to be good enough for the Lakers but the Lakers were going to be taking on the Clippers who were going to become this championship caliber brand that we're going to figure it out and instead we get two meh basketball teams playing in the same arena against each other in a game that's just so supposed to mean more like it it just like sec football just means more lakers clippers was supposed to mean more and instead it feels like two teams that are scrapping for some like little tiny piece of relevance yeah uh it's it's wild and actually Fitz, you mentioned that you talked to some colleagues about the nba and i do want to get to the nets but quickly they kind of said that without the Nets being really great, with the Bucks kind of hanging low, with the Lakers not being any good, a lot of the established superstars outside of like the Warriors and Steph and Clay and that great storyline, the NBA just isn't the draw right now because people are trying to figure out 
where do I grab that big story? Where's the exciting established superstar? Not at the top. And I think what we're seeing, you know, to that point, the Warriors are, are a huge draw. Everybody's watching the Warriors. They know the Warriors, right? The clay and Steph Angle feels fresh again because it's been a minute. But the rest of the way across, you look at what we're seeing, like Jaw is an incredible story. But people are still learning Ja in Memphis, and Devin Booker's in a smaller market. You can look across the board at the young talent and say, well, those guys haven't gone on a playoff run. And I think it's a really interesting point that the playoffs, when we get full series, are where we start to tell great stories. So until we get those and people start to get invested, it feels like a lot of the common, not the not the NBA diehards, but like just the casual fans that are sitting yeah. back waiting for something to pay attention to, well... The Lakers aren't good. The Nets aren't good. That was supposed to be the heroes and the villains. And the rest of the guys, they don't know enough about. So we it's like a transitional our heroes period. And villains. Yeah, we like our heroes and villains. And as much as we complain about, oh, we already know who it's going to be, we kind of like that. It helps yeah. lead us through it uh, outside of our own team and our regional interests, which, of course, you know, people in Chicago are going nuts for the Bulls and diehards are going nuts for that storyline and the interest there. But that's fascinating to me, that sort of transitional time period. And that's great for the future of the NBA. But right now we're a little like, uh, but who do we make fun of or like or dislike? Uh, we're not <laughs> sure yet. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, taking you into Clippers, Lakers. Let's talk about the Nets because James Harden said this in his presser the other day as they are mired in, I believe now, a six-game losing skid. No, I think we've done a lot, too much talking. I think uh, we've, we've we've done too much talking. It's just uh, we got to go out there and do it, and uh, do it consistently. You know, we have times where we're great, then we have times where we're really bad, and uh, we just got to find some consistency throughout the course of games. Uh, more times than not. For once, I agree with him, and I think it's also good for them. It it it, it helps him to be able to say that course you want to talk when you're doing well you don't really want to talk when you're struggling so if you just say we've been talking too much we should talk less it gets you off the hook of having to explain why you're struggling but I also think he's right I also think this team needs to put their heads down and figure out what they're doing on the basketball court Kevin Durant is injured Kyrie's only available sometimes James Harden left and went there so that he wouldn't have to do it all himself and here he is stuck in that position so they got to put their heads down and figure out how they're going to operate as a team in and out of Kyrie and with the injuries and stop talking and stop drawing attention and stop, you know, all the other stuff. And that will actually help them and it will get them off the hook from having to have conversations about why they're struggling. Well, and it is interesting, Sarah, because you mentioned Kyrie uh, only available sometimes, but over the course of this six-game losing streak, what the last three have been on the road and, and he's been in and uh, you know, has been able to play. So, you know, you, you have to look at some of this and say, OK, well, I thought the road trip opportunities would actually prevent present great opportunities for Kyrie to come in, play his tail off and for everybody to get more comfortable together. And instead, that really hasn't happened. You know, I mean, he's had good games uh, along the way, but they're losing. So and a team that, for the most part, is only going to have two of their big three whenever they play at home. And now they have two of their big three because KD's injured. I just I thought there was an opportunity for them to still gel together and for at least for them to say, hey, we're winning these games with Kyrie while, while we're on the road. Yeah. And instead, they're just getting their asses kicked. Yeah, they really are. Chinea Gumake, uh, ESPN NBA analyst, was on SportsCenter today and talked about the most struggling thing for this streak. What I see from the Brooklyn Nets, particularly when it comes to James Harden, is that he needs to score the basketball, period. In this losing streak, the six-game losing streak, he's been averaging just about 18 points per game. And last night he had four, which was his lowest in a very, very long time. So James needs to be James. And I know it's difficult because you're the common thread that the Brooklyn Nets have had 
to win a championship or at least maintain their positioning. Kyrie is only available on the road. Kevin Durant right now is unavailable based on his injury. And so he's trying to find where he fits in with all these changing circumstances. But he's still a bucket, and that's what we love about James. And so he needs to get back to that. I'd also say this, though. Their defense needs to be better. In that losing streak, they've had the second-worst defense in the NBA. That's something I'd be telling them. That's, I would also say, and I know the people who love Harden are going to come at me for this, but he's not the guy I think of when I think love of the game, just go out there and have fun and get yours. He just isn't. So I know he's a bucket, and I know he can go off, but he's also a guy I, I just I wonder – if he, when the times are tough and other people are injured or out, if he really cares enough to, to to put on the cape and save him instead of saying, "Oh, there's enough excuses that I don't need to I don't need to really own up to why things aren't working out." I mean, you could say that that at times has hindered Harden and it's hindered Kyrie, and now you put them together in a situation that is a pressure cooker because of the expectations, and then also because of everything else going on off the court. And now you've put them together in an area where they thought it was going to be the most incredible, fun basketball they'd ever played in their lives, playing with other dominant players that were going to be able to run the NBA and enjoy every single night. And instead, every night's like pulling teeth. You don't know who you're going to have on the court. It hasn't gelled. You're losing games. Like I, I think if there's any portion of you that doesn't absolutely fanatically love playing basketball, just the cooker that they've been in could kill whatever desire you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's going to be wild if that team gets put together and they never really do much. Of course, a lot of people believe no matter how bad it looks, now you get the right people back in time for the playoffs and you'll be fine. By the way, shout out to Spatty Deegan on Twitter. You're right. We should have mentioned the Suns, and we should talk about the Suns. The Suns are fun. The entire Suns team is going to be coming up on our NBA on ESPN radio coverage. Lakers Clippers gets underway with NBA Countdown now. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.